We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. So we open up with our boy, Joe Dillon, who is kind of, I don't know, he's, he seemed kind of like a leader of this group. He, he's definitely the most aggressive boy, but they're playing like Wild West. It's, it's some of the boys are pretending to be invading like the local indigenous tribe peoples. But my first question is, is we ought to pay attention to is what is this narration? So I think what Joyce is doing here is he's setting the framework that even at a young age, all children are kind of like typecasted. We're all looked at on our parents and said, all right, this is what they're going to be. And they stereotype us right from the beginning of who we are. And I think that through the whole story, we see this is kind of an adventure that these children are breaking out of the norms of the standards that are set upon them. You know, some critics have, when we talk about what James Joyce thought of the church. <laughs> going there he, already. Okay, let's do yeah, it. We're going, we're going right into this, buddy. <laughs> right into he, this. He view, He had a negative view. And in general, he, he just... He didn't like how life put all of these structures onto you, these expectations of of when you're a father, you act this way. When you're uh, in a religion, you have to do certain uh, rituals and things when you're in a religion and have certain moralistic standards. When you're you know married, you have certain expectations as a husband, what you need to perform. Yeah. Critics will point out here that Joe Dillon was the most aggressive and almost kind of like a bully. Yet he's the one that grew up to be a priest who usually we think of as humble, as docile. But you got to remember, Joyce viewed the, the church almost as aggressive, the way it was involved in politics and stuff like that, that he's he's almost viewing uh, the way that the church would assert influence on Irish laws and such, uh, that, that Joe Dillon being the bully and trying to control things is going to be drawn to a vocation that almost allows him to live out his fantasy. So is he really breaking his stereotypes and expectations, or is he choosing careers that allow him to exercise his his aggressions. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Joe is, I think, falling into the trope here because the priesthood is a very powerful position. I mean, you have people that look up to you. You have people that listen to you. You have a lot of influence in your community. This is not a job that is something to just be scoffed at. And Joe Dillon is going to be in a position to continue to bully people if he wanted to because he could abuse his power and he could take advantage of others like he did in his youth. Now, you said something earlier about how we have expectations of children. And I think that's true. But it's also worth pointing out that the expectations of, you know, of what you're supposed to do as a 40-year-old man who's in a Catholic church and is, you know, the leader of the scout pack for for Cub Scouts, whatever. Like, you you, you have these certain <laughs> expectations, right? Right. The children are almost a little bit before that, right? Like, they don't have as many expectations. And and here they are fantasizing, right? They're, they're being kids. They're playing. But they're, they're almost 
to, I wonder if Joyce viewed them as the purest form of life because they get to do and be what they want without fulfilling what other people expect of you even. Right. So I kind of looked at this too is, okay, the children are blank slates, but what are they drawn to? They're drawn towards violence. And so is Joyce kind of pointing out that as youths, before we are tempered by our age and possibly, you know, uh, corrupted by society, do we gravitate towards violence as a species? Well, is it what Joyce is saying or is that what we're thinking, right? Like, it, like let, let's focus on what we think because yeah. the narrator might be a little bit different, right? He's described as, quote, oh, for sure. the reluctant Indians who were afraid to seem studious or lacking in robustness. I was one. So this boy is, is he more afraid to join and partake in the, when we join certain circles, sometimes like there's a cause or a rally for something. And sometimes we join it, not because of the cause or the rally, but because our friends are in it, our family told us to do it, or sometimes it increases our social standing, that it almost becomes currency and here's this boy who's afraid and reluctant to almost join certain things. Oh, yeah, I like that. I like that. So I, I think that the narrator is the almost kind of the hero of the story, right? He's the one that is pushing back against what is the expectation or what will become the expectation of him. You guys are just on the opening paragraph. Welcome to James Joyce. I, I promise we won't <laughs> we won't do this for the whole piece, but you just have to understand that there are certain authors that are able to layer so much meaning in one sentence, and boy, is Joyce one of them. Uh, let, let's jump to Father, because um, you mentioned to me earlier you wish we had read this closer to Sisters. And if you remember Father Flynn, I think was his name, was the one that passed away. Uh, the church, it's dying. And if you remember Araby, like they were living near a church. Like there, There's all these influences of religion in a Joyce story, particularly. And here, we got Father Butler catches Leo Dillon, <laughs> Joe's brother. With, yep. oh, a comic. <laughs> Was it X-Men? <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of ways to take this, but why do you think the father was so upset that the boy, what, what are some of the ways we can interpret why the father was upset that the boy had comics? I think it's, for me, it was because it was taking away from his religious studies and times, and it was something that was corrupting him that wasn't of, of the church was kind of how I took it. You know, we've talked before in some of our Russian orthodoxy talks about how uh, theosis is is repetition. It's it's drilling in, you're, you're aiming for humility, and for the boys to have defiance for the church, to not enter into that, uh, like that state of repetition and listening, that it, it, it is, it's almost kind of like a symbol of rebellion, a symbol of, of pulling away from the church. Is, right. is, is, is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. I guess it was it was something that it's just taking away from his studies. So you you you're you're not practicing. You know, you're not doing your hail marys. You're not praying. You're doing something that is not holy. Then it's seen almost as a sin. Here's another way to think about it. Okay. So he's just like, oh, those those comics you know those writers they're just selling it to get you know to get a quick buck to buy some cheap whiskey which um spoiler alert that's what a lot of high literary authors do too it's not just the cheap comic book writer <laughs> but um here's another way to think about it he's insulting the authors where do you think these comic books came from sir hmm i don't know 
That's a good These question. Are, so some of the ones that they've listed are English comics. Uh, and if we go back okay. to during the time that he was writing this, is Ireland running itself? Is it a sovereign country? Okay, so we have, we have the Irish-English conflict in there. Wow, Joyce is incredible to embed that. I didn't pick up on that. So good. Right. So so okay. right now, Ireland is under English rule. Long yes. history of hating the English, of being subdued, riots being put down. And oh, you have those dirty English cheap comics in my classroom, right? Yeah, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So we're, we're doing the layers here. We get treated to a brilliant Dubliners line here. I love this because the father finishes rebuke with, now Dylan, I advise strongly, get at your work or that's it. Dot, dot, dot. He just gets cut off. Oh, a great Dubliners line. Like, like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? That's an incomplete sentence. Exactly. Right. James Joyce thought. Yeah, welcome to Joyce. Yeah. Well, James Joyce thought Dublin was paralyzed that they were unable to move forward, that they were afraid to come to a decision because a decision is a conclusion, right? Might be wrong, but it's still a conclusion. And that's the problem is that Dublin, in his eyes, James Joyce's eyes, Dublin wasn't doing that. They were frozen. So there's all these symbols of people unable to achieve their goals, of unable to complete their sentences. Or if you remember from Sisters, Mr. Cotter, if you remember a cotter pen is something that fastens something into place, a paralyzing something. All these different levels Joyce will tackle in his literature about how Dublin is unable to move forward because they can't come to decisions. They can't make conclusions. They're paralyzed. Do you think that if decisions had been made that it would have made a difference, though, at all? Well, let's think of it this way. If a decision was made, that would be structure being put onto the boy. It would be okay. most likely Catholic structure. Uh, it is a school, so you know we'll talk about it in an RB that just because you go to the school doesn't mean that you're necessarily studying to be a priest or a nun. But you know you can take it that way if you want. I I don't care if you take a formalist approach to literature. <laughs> but you remember later on in the story, just to jump ahead, I guess a little bit, when the boys are away, they're like, hey. I feel I'm no longer influenced and I feel further away from school and school's teachings. It's, it's that, that, that fact that they're throwing off the, the decision of the church and the fact that the church could even come to one and put that structure on them. Well, now the church is paralyzed. They're not even able to direct and put structure onto the people of what, what right behavior or moralistic decisions are. Doesn't that kind of speak true to a youth as well anyway, as soon as the restrictions are gone as soon as, you know, mom and dad are away or, you know, you're at home alone that first time you, you know, you, you question thinking I could break the rules and probably get away with it. And I feel like that's what the boys are doing is just, they're pushing those boundaries. And we do that in our childhood as we start to push boundaries to see what can we get away with. And I, I felt like Joyce was kind of telling me as a child or, or as a person questioning the church, you need to push those boundaries if there's going to be any growth. What'd you think about this quote? Because he says, but real adventures, I reflected, do not happen to people who remain at home. They must be sought abroad. I feel like Joyce wanted to be a cowboy so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're playing cowboys and Indians. They're little kids. You know, to be in the wild, wild west, I feel like he, uh... that he's trapped in Dublin. 
I mean, from a biographical standpoint, like he did leave, right? Like he traveled around. Oh, yeah, leave. sure. Yeah. But I mean, think about it this way, that too, as a boy too. when he was a child. But now are all the children making that choice or are they influencing each other to make that choice? Are they are they truly independent making those choices? Well, let me ask you this. You mentioned earlier that you thought um, Joe, good old Joe, was kind yeah, of good old uh, Joe. either falling into or falling away from his expectations. The boys on summer break, to your point about some boys going one way and some boys going another way, they they agree to put this money into this pot because they're going to play hooky. Yep. Right? And the the narrator shows up. Um, what was it? Mahoney. Mahoney shows up. But Joe Dillon doesn't show up. Why? Like they make different decisions here. What 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 makes Joe Dill- Dillon different? I feel like he finally realized that he wasn't he didn't have the courage. It uh it was it was too daring for him, I feel like. Mm, okay. That he finally grew up a little bit and made an adult decision, you know, because kids can make adult decisions sometimes. I wonder if our narrator's the reluctant Indian who doesn't join some of those structures, right? He's, he's not ready to join and do whatever, what everyone else expects of him. While, while Joe Dillon is a bully, and he did accept the mask of, of the religion later on in life, well, is he also putting on that mask of what's expected him from school for not playing hooky? Like, he is consistently making choices to join into that social mask, to do what's expected of him, as opposed to the reluctant Indian, the narrator. Right. I guess, too, is you think about like the social structure and norms of Ireland of the time to be so Catholic. Um, And I mean, it had to be a very rough life. You have, you know, the oppression of, you know, England on them and living this very strict Catholic life. I mean, it, it was kind of a bleak existence. So making these choices, even as a young child, must have been very, very difficult. So speaking of England again, they want to go to the pigeon house. Like that's the day off to go to go to the pigeon house. Do you know what that is by chance? I, I figure it was something kind of risque, but I, I didn't know exactly. I kind of you know, like was inferring. <laughs> no, it's actually super specific to the area. There's the pool big generating station. Okay. So when I was there, you can go up to this one area. It's, it's called the gravity bar, but you can kind of see over the whole city. It's still there today. It's these, these, it's a, it's a, became a power station but before that it was uh, an area just right there on the river that literally like the owner john pigeon uh, would nourish and house people of dublin oh, okay yeah but but during the 1798 so coming back to your your english rule thing during the 1798 rebellion they were put down and then it got turned into a sewage and power plant processing area it became Another example of like kind of like that symbol of how England put oppression and designs onto Ireland, even uh, literally a house that was originally nourishing the people of Ireland is now a sewage and power plant. Uh, that, that, that's where they okay. wanted to go. <laughs> OK, so but but do they make it? No, they don't make it. <laughs> right, like The boys are fantasizing about town, ta- about town. They're having a good time. There's even some commentary there about the Protestantism and such. Uh, and the Catholics, you know, uh, the, the Joe Dillon's parents, again, people that went to church every week. Uh, there, there's a lot of just social commentary here. Right. But the point that I think you really need to focus on is they don't make the goal again, like another Dubliners example where the people are paralyzed. The plot is paralyzed. They never reach the goals that they intend. 
And, and what does that mean that afterwards, well, here's how I took it, right? They, they decide to, so it's a few, if you didn't know the downtown Dublin, there's like this Liffey river that kind of splits the town and, and they okay. cross this river. They have this ferryman, right? And the ferryman has green eyes and they give them the coins and they end up in the fields. So for me, Hey, this is just how I took it. They, they almost, it's like their, their, their goals, their life aspirations almost die at this point because they don't reach mm. their goals. Right. And so in, right. in, in Greek mythology, you know, who did you, when you died, where'd you, where'd you go? You went to, you went to the river sticks to cross. So, so literally they call him a ferryman. Literally they're giving him quarters. They say green eyes. I don't know if that's a symbol of something. Um, I took it as kind of the Irish thing that, that, that was done, okay. but they end up in the fields, right? So, so now we're going to mix mythology a little bit, but, but we have the Elysian <laughs> fields where you go, uh, warriors go to die. Right. And, and, and it's all part of this, this transition that when they gave up on their dreams, it's almost like, so does, so does their life too. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I guess at the end, I felt like the children had been isolated from everybody else. Like they didn't make their journey and they're alone and they're going off by themselves. And I felt like it was also, that's kind of what Joyce wants Ireland to do is to break away from England to go off and do its own thing. And I guess I was, I was wanting to hope that this was an ending of, of hope that this was a good thing that they were going off to forge their own destinies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was trying to be optimistic. I was trying to be you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it because uh, you get this oh immediate sense of dread when we meet the old man right at the end. Like we're in this field, guy walks by, comes back, <laughs> and he says things like, "The happiest time of one's life was undoubtedly one's schoolboy days, and that he would give anything to be young again." Right. So this old man's talking about the innocence of boyhood, the the ability to do what you want. Right. He's a character in the story. He's even calling about how there's no responsibility or mass put on these children yet. And you have this sense of dread, or at least I did. Did you have that with this man? Oh, for sure. I, I feel like he's kind of pointing out that, yes, you do have this innocence, but did Dubliner Irish Catholic boys ever truly have it? Is he pointing out that maybe they never even had a chance to have innocence, that they were they were thrust through life so quick um, and these choices were made for them that they never got that? What do you think? What do you think is going on with this old man? Because red bells are going off. He's asking about them, them toddies, them hot chickies, asking them if they're kissing and necking with the girls. Right. Like like not appropriate conversation to have with a young little boy and an older man that just met. And. He introduces to me this concept of like hidden knowledge. Like he is more experienced than the boys and knows what it's like to have like dra- drag you down. He knows that he's not supposed to be talking probably to girls. And I think he may or may not be attracted to them, but he, he has these societal pressures put on him. I, I definitely felt that tension between the old man and the narrator. I felt like it was. I don't know. I don't know if Joyce was was wanting it to be, you know, a romantic thing or not. Well, don't worry about what Joyce not, wanted. Don't don't worry about what Joyce yeah. wants. Tell me what you think. I, I I I felt like that it was almost like this sexual attraction, knowing that it was wrong, 
is how I interpret it. And I don't know if that's my own biases coming through because of modern views of, 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 of the church. Um, I felt like it was, was how I, I interpret it, but I don't know. Was that true back then of to what we've seen today in modern times? Do you think this man, so let's run with that. Do you think this man wanted to be free of those desires? Is, is that what he envied in these young children? Oh, maybe because they hadn't been corrupted as he sees himself as been corrupted. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now I could see that. Now the little boys, they couldn't escape this little man. They once again suffer from paralysis and can't escape the danger. Why? If if something is so scary and and something's wrong here, why don't the boys just leave? I think sometimes we we can't face the realities of life and that's i mean being a child you're able to have escapism very easily right your imagination can run rampant and you don't have to face reality and this is the first time i feel like the boys are truly faced with a test and they don't know what to do they haven't been prepared for it and he he even talks about how he wants to run away and he's afraid like the man will grab his ankles do you think they're yeah. Do you, do you think there's any play there about how these boys and their innocence is coming to an end? A loss? Is this a loss of innocence story? I don't know. But oh, towards the end, for sure. Yes. 1,000%. It is a loss of innocence. But as they get older, are they afraid that, let, let's pretend we take this man symbolically, if we read it ideologically, at, at, at a level like that, even it's like leaving the story. Is this society? Is this age is this as we get older we take on certain responsibilities is this a coming of age moment where the boys realize that life is coming for them and it's going to start to tie them down it's going to cause repression in their life things that they're going to want to do they're no longer going to be able to do because they have to satisfy some need of society or of your religion or of your organization to which you belong i think that's definitely a way to look at it i also thought that this could be the boys seeing their future of that that could be us mm. we could become that old man and it's fear they're afraid because they don't want to be that and they're like uh are we looking in a mirror right now because that's scary and that's not something that i want for myself is is the epiphany that the boy recognizes what he will become but he is still powerless to stop the thing from becoming true that he doesn't want to become true. Isn't that kind of the question for all of us that when we, we reflect back, is, is it regret? I mean, is that the epiphany that you will have regrets, but you have to let them go and to have regrets or an epiphany like that at such a young age, that's heartbreaking. And that's a societal fail <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. And we've probably been going on for a really long time here for what for a nine page story. <laughs> but uh, Joyce is just a master of of just really layering these questions of as we become older, what responsibilities will we take on? And even though we think we have these choices, are we really making these calls? Like if we think in a couple stories from now, uh, Eveline, what's going to happen there, whether she accepts the new responsibility of life or not. And sometimes it's it's heartbreaking and sometimes it's liberating, but we always face these choices and it ain't always a Hollywood decision in the end, right? And, and I think that's probably one of the harsh realities of life to your point. 
Yeah, I don't think there's ever a Hollywood ending to this. And I think that's the beauty of it is Joyce is going to hit you with reality. And that's what makes this so real and feel so authentic is that he was giving you something true. And in a lot of literature, you don't get that truth. And that's what makes this so fun, enjoyable to read. So playlist down below to continue the Dubliners play with us. Look forward to hearing you from you. My name is Una. Peace.